0: This is a fun episode of the Free Your Energy podcast with my host, The Love Drive. In fact, the story of how Sean created his platform and his coaching career uh, and his teaching career is actually pretty incredible. So he was a a taxi driver in San Francisco, and obviously the people who knew him and his friends, they they were just like, hey, you should totally record uh, your conversations with the people who are getting your taxi cab, just because they knew the depth of his conversations in the space that he was creating. So, of course, he took his friend's advice and uh, went through with that and used YouTube as a vessel to share a lot of those videos. And five years later, here we are today on the Free Your Energy podcast, jamming with the love drive. And I feel like that's the only way you should say the love drive. (laughs) This episode was fun. It it was vulnerable. It was was deep. It was dark. It was a lot of fun. It was exciting. It was all the emotional things that we love out of a good podcast, you know, out of a good movie. So sit back for the next 59 minutes and jam with Sylvester McNutt III and The Love Drive on the Free Your Energy Podcast. You had a podcast. I believe it was your most recent one very honest, vulnerable, you obviously have a very deep connection with your, your audience and your listeners. Um, <clears throat> and you talked about this hyperproductive society we live in, where, you know, we have to derive our worth from our production and getting better and, you know, all the, all the things, the self-help and the learning and the, the degree and the falling in love and just everything that people are chasing you know, and I'm not here to shame anybody. I know, you, I know you're not either. Um, but you were saying in the podcast, like, I'm not okay today. I'm just not okay. Could you, got, could you go into that space a little bit and let me know what prompted you to create that episode as a creative, just as a human, what has been on your heart, on your mind that, that helped you come to that realization? I think a lot
1: of work that I've done with my therapist in the last couple of years has has been around just sort of accepting where I'm at and where I'm at is not always rosy, right? And so I'm coming to terms with this idea that we're going to struggle. We're going to go through ups and downs and there's this obsession with getting over a breakup with getting over rejection, with moving through uncomfortable feelings as quickly as possible. And a lot of the work that I've done with my therapist has been around actually just welcoming it, welcoming that space of being blue, of being depressed, of being frustrated, of being upset, and sort of welcoming something that is uncomfortable. Because in my experience, when I don't welcome it in, right when I kind of push past it or I try to bottle it down, it comes back. It's going to come back. And so I would much rather just like welcome it into my life, whatever it is that's happening and let it teach me what it needs to teach me. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to be like hyper-focused on my sadness or my depression or whatever I'm feeling, but it's there, right? It's there along with the other stuff. It coexists. So I'm not negating it. I'm not turning my back on it, but I'm also not giving it my full attention. And sometimes that just sort of looks like, man, I'm just not doing great today and that's okay. And I want people to know that it's okay to not always be okay. It's, it's okay to be depressed, to be sad, to be sort of, to feel like you're a burden, to not be your happy-go-lucky self, to not be on, to not always like have all the answers and to not be thriving, right? Because I think there's this, a, this message is that like, if you're not doing okay, you need to fix that. When I think really there's no fixing that needs to happen. There, there has to be a lot of acceptance around the fact that we're not okay.
0: Were you always able to articulate your vulnerabilities in the the emotional landscape that you were experiencing? Or is that something that you learned over time?
1: Uh, I think from a really young age, that was always the expressive one, the one that was out of control, the one that had emotional outbursts. I don't know if it's a Virgo thing, Sylvester, maybe you can tell me if... it's a Virgo thing, but
0: like... Are you a Virgo? I am. You're a Virgo? Yeah, well, I mean, you're speaking my language right now.
1: (laughs) I I, I was always like, every time I had a report card, it was always like, Sean's outspoken. Sean's the class clown. Sean uh, is a disruption to everybody else. He has emotional outbursts. I just had like a lot of emotions. I didn't know how to deal with them. And only just very recently have I been able to like Express them and to also find outlets for them that are healthy, right? I mean, I'm I'm a classic, recovered drug and alcohol addict, right? So for like ten years, drugs and alcohol that was my way, of dealing with the pain, of life, right? I would just numb it out because I didn't know what to do with it. Um, So yeah, it's sort of a recent development, I guess, in the last you know a lot of work in the last ten years or so. To be able to like process what's going on in in a healthy-ish way. It's not always healthy, right? A lot of Netflix binging, ice cream binging, Ben and Jerry's, you know, pint destruction, um, vaping on and off. Pint destruction.
0: You need to trademark that term. (laughs) Pint destruction. Like, it's just that, that kind of right night, there. you know? <laughs> what are you guys doing over there tonight? Oh, it's going to be a pint destruction tonight.
1: <laughs> yeah, or destroying pints of Ben and Jerry's. Uh, a lot of vaping. I've had a uh, an addiction on and off to nicotine for a long time. And I'm, I'm not even ashamed to admit that. Um, and And I use it or have used it in the past to numb how I feel. Because life is painful for me. Life has been painful for me. It's also been really great. and I'm super fortunate and I've got a lot of privilege and I have a lot of love in my life. Um, but it's also been really, really hard to be someone who like feels a lot and doesn't always know what to do with those feelings.
0: What I sense from you is, is an acceptance of the dualities of life. But I don't feel that that acceptance came Very easy. And that's also me projecting on you because I also feel similar in in, in my way, especially when you bring up the report card thing. Like, I remember I would get these notes like, oh, Sylvester's the smartest person in the class. He's the brightest person in the class. He's a genius. But... <laughs> he talks too much, or he doesn't raise his, he, he doesn't raise his hand, or he's a class clown, or he's not paying attention, or he's not engaged. It was always a but. It was like he's always, he's a smart person, but he's loud, rambunctious, he's noisy. And, you know, obviously when you're in high school, you don't really have the language of duality, accepting that, you know, multiple things can be true at once. Like you don't really have that. And then I hear you say that you were an addict and then what, what's the, how do we describe where you are now? You know, is it, are you in recovery? Are you, you know, how do, how do, how do we describe your experience now?
1: I mean, I'm definitely still in recovery. Uh, it'll be 14 years on Saturday, actually. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, August first, two thousand eight was when so I got sober. Fourteen 20, days, twenty-five
0: years old, and that's sober from alcohol and the drugs that you used to be addicted to.
1: Yeah, everything. Yeah, so I've had to like, you know, kind of face life on life's terms, and that and that's why I've I've branched out to other forms of distraction. Right, food, nicotine, sex, uh, entertainment, uh, exercise, lack of exercise, people. Right, like I've always search for something outside of myself to feel better about myself um and so now i'm in a much more grounded place i mean i Mm -hmm. uh you know i was kind of going through some of your content recently and there was something about how you know how deleterious it is how bad it is to speak poorly of oneself and i was notoriously bad at how i would speak to myself about myself like, I would say things to myself that I would never say to anybody else.
0: You know, and a, f- a lot of people, what you just said, a lot of people can, when people hear this, they're going to say, not everybody, but some people will say, damn, that's me. That's me right now. Or maybe that was the old me. Yeah. What, how did you get out of that? How did you get out of that? How did you change the language and the framework?
1: Um, One thing is again, like working with my, I mean, I love my therapist and I'm so grateful to be able to have access to a therapist, right? Cause not everybody can afford a therapist and to have a really great connection and relationship with my therapist that I've, I've been working for uh, like nearly on a weekly basis for four years now. And I'm just sort of a therapy for life kind of guy. And so a lot of the work that we've done has been around accepting myself, right? Accepting myself flaws and all Accepting my ups and downs, my moods, my shortcomings, my zones of development, and accepting all that as being totally normal, right? Exactly where I need to be right now. We don't come out of the womb like perfect beings. We don't even die perfect beings. Like we're just like Mm. super flawed. We're super flawed individuals. So that's one thing, right? It's just this like constant work on accepting where I'm at and who I am. And then the other is like thinking about little Sean, right? The little Sean inside of me, right? some people call it like inner child work. Um, I used to have a photo of myself at five years old, leaning on a maple tree, wearing like some Jordache pants, acid wash with a big red sweater. And uh, I'm leaning on like a maple tree bucket. And I'm just like the sweetest, you know, it's like purity. I'm looking at a pure version of myself. And when I speak poorly of myself, I'm actually speaking poorly of, of that little kid that's inside of me. And why would I ever do that? He doesn't need that. He's just like a pure little child that just wants to love and be loved and be accepted and doesn't know how to hate. Hasn't been ruined by life or stepped on or squashed. And I'm the one doing that. Right? I'm the one teaching him that it's okay to talk t- t- to a small child that way. So that's also helped a lot.
0: I just felt a vibrational shift in my body. When you said you were looking at this image of little Sean, and you said, why would I talk to him that way? I, actually, like, I, I, have, I have like goosebumps in my body just thinking about the shift because when you when you look at it like that the only option then is love is acceptance is to treat your present self as well as you can and also with that framework i also feel like there's also a compassionate apology that we could offer even to our old selves as Absolutely. when we were 18 or 25 or 14 you know just trying to figure things out you know? Wow.
1: I'm actually kind of, I mean, there's like a little bit of sadness that, that like is coming up when I think about all of the people and that includes myself speaking poorly about their little self. Right. And how it's just like really commonplace. And it's like, life is so hard I don't know. Some people have it really easy, and that's great. Like I think that life is actually quite hard. And we don't need to make it any harder on ourselves, right? Life will already challenge us, other people, relationships, career, everything. Do we do we need to add to that? I don't think so. I certainly did for a long time.
0: Well, I would totally like to honor you in this the space that you just created with that thought. I know for me personally, you just created a vibrational shift. So thank you. Uh, it it is sad. It is sad to acknowledge that a lot of us are waking up and we're choosing patterns that are destructive for us. Some of the patterns we often feel like we can't stop. You know, especially when we're talking about like addictions, addictions to sweets, sex, addictions to arguing, fighting. You know, the list goes on and on. And um, offering that that compassionate tone of voice, uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and say it stops it. Or solves it, but it mm-hmm. is a component that helps and it aids it, you know. And um, let's switch gears here for a second because there's something that I need to ask you. Cool. You talked about space, asking for space. You were talking about space. It was another podcast of yours. Um, in a relationship, and you you had a post on TikTok. And where a lot of the feedback is people were saying, oh, uh, my anxiety, I wouldn't be able to ask my partner for space. I wouldn't, you know. So obviously space is very important in all types of relationships, right? It's interesting. This is another duality. It's like a relationship needs closeness, but it also needs space. And it's like a dance. Can you talk to us about space, how to ask for space, why it's important, some potential resistance when asking for it?
1: Yeah, I love, I love the discussion around space. I haven't really gotten to talk about it a lot lately. Interestingly enough, the most popular content on TikTok of mine is the one that's very divisive, right? Where you've got people agreeing and people disagreeing. And the one about space is interesting. A lot of the people that disagree or don't know how to ask for space um, just don't don't feel comfortable with the concept of their partner doing other things without them. And I don't know, maybe uh, (laughs) one of the things that I've struggled with in my life growing up is is being uh, the opposite of codependent, right? And I thought that was independent. But my therapist said, no, it's anti-dependent. Right, it's this refusal to depend on others because they're going to let me down. Right, so I come from from a perspective of like I need a lot of space. Right, and so for me, um, letting people in is sort of my challenge. And for other people, um, the opposite is their challenge. Right, my my belief is that like space is just good for everything. Right, you can't go to the gym seven days a week two-hour workout and not give your muscles and your nervous system a chance to rest, right? When you rest, you kind of come back stronger. You come back resourced and rested. And the same applies to relationships, right? If, if you're spending all of your time together, what you're building is something that's like, you know, it's called kind of enmeshed. It can be codependent. You could be, you could be depending on the other to a degree that's unhealthy, Space allows us to like kind of find ourselves, resource ourselves and do other things that are outside of the relationship that you can then bring to the relationship. That's the beautiful thing about space is it allows you to like miss your other, your person, right? Whether it's your best friend or your family member or anything, even a relationship with a pet, you know, like I'm always super stoked when I get a week away from my dog because I don't have to walk him for a week. And then when I come home, I'm like super excited to see him again. So these are just some, some random thoughts and benefits about space. Um, the way I would ask for it, if you're not used to it, is something along the lines of, hey, I love our relationship. I love spending time with you. And I want some time to myself because I also want to spend time with me and with my friends and doing things that make me feel good so that I can come back to us even in, like, a better place. So it's really important to be able to acknowledge that, you, that you're not taking the space because you're, you feel suffocated in the relationship, even though that, that might actually be what's going on. If you want to stay in the relationship, you, you spend some time honoring the connection and saying, this is what I need for us to, to be even more close, which is a paradox, right? How can taking space from someone lead to more closeness, right? You would think that, like, less space will lead to more closeness. But like you said, it's a dance between closeness and being your own
0: person. So let's play a little game here. Let's say you ask a person for space and the partner says, no. <laughs> then what?
1: Yeah. You, I mean, then you have to reiterate why, why it's important. And at some point, you know, you have to make a decision about how far are you willing to go to get this need met? And if the need is for space, which could also translate to safety and a desire to stay connected, you know, it might look like, hey, I understand that this makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm totally willing to walk you through why this is important. I want to be here for what's coming up for you and what feelings this is bringing up in you. And I also really need you to understand that for for me, this is, it's crucial for me to Mm. get some space. Not because I don't love you, honey, but because like, I just want this for myself.
0: I like that duality there where I like the word need as well, because if a person feels internally like, Hey, I need space. Like that is an actual need. And we are allowed to embrace our needs. In fact, part of entering relationship is to get Our needs met. Isn't that one of the purposes to get needs met or to at least the pursuit of trying to get needs met? And so I feel like there's this act of self betrayal when you say, when you recognize, hey, I have this need, but I'm not going to ask for it because, you know, my partner may say no. But the truth is, we have to risk and we have to be ready to deal with the consequence of asking for our needs because most of the times you're probably going to get your needs met. But some of the times, you're probably not. And that's okay too. And and, and I like how you're pushing us to continue to have that conversation and to be real with with what what we need. I like that.
1: I mean, it's interesting, right? Because your need for space might conflict with your partner's need for closeness. Mm. And that's where it gets really tricky, right? Like, so whose need is more important? And at some point, you'll have to make a decision for yourself as to whether this is something that is really worth sort of like um, putting, you know, what's like putting your feet down? No, putting like a line in the sand or something or just like feeling like this is, this is important enough for you to, to sort of advocate for. And also we need to remember that like for the most part, our partners do want to meet our needs. And it's also unrealistic for us to expect them to meet all of our needs. So your partner might not be able to graciously extend you, you know time and space and th- you need to figure out whether this is that important um, and how you can also maybe come and meet their needs at the same time for clarity around why it is that you need space i mean it, it's all gosh it's so complicated relationships are so hard i just like i just want to know are. like if you are struggling with um, compromise around a need just know that it's totally normal for this stuff to happen like we don't live in a Disney movie it's not that simple it's not like when you meet the one everything will fall into place there is going to be some compromise there is going to be some disappointment there's going to be some times when your partner is going to be really upset at you and that's okay for the most part you know if it happens like there, there has to be balance there as well.
0: Right. And it's, it's really about making sure that like the vessel that's holding our relationship is as safe as possible. You know, if I'm bringing my needs to you and you're throwing ice at me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or you, you know, slap me or something, you know, something like that, you know, obviously that's, that's, that's a sign like, hey, this vessel isn't very healthy and it's not a safe container for these conversations. Like we definitely need to, to focus on building like The Safest Containers. How did you get into being the relationship coach uh, that you are? Like, how did that process start?
1: I mean, I just kind of fell into it. Uh, It's like a weird, circuitous journey. But I mean, first of all, I always had the space and the passion to talk about love and relationships and sex. Number one. Number two, I always really struggled with it growing up and still even to this day right i was i was pretty good at the like going on dates and having sex part not so great at the being intimate and building a relationship part and along the way i was like there's got to be a better way like there's got to be a more direct transparent and honest and playful way to do this kind of work so there was that there was that piece and then oddly enough uh, i was driving a taxi in san francisco in 2016 and Uh, my friend said that I should record my conversations with my passengers. And so I did, I put cameras and microphones and lights in the taxi and I called it the love drive. And I would drive people around and I would talk about love and put all those videos on YouTube, they're there, you you can see them to this day. And that's sort of where it began, right? So like publicly making content about love, sex and relationships started in 2016. And then between now and then, you know, blog posts, podcasts. I got certified as a coach. I did some rape crisis counseling. I did some sex education. And uh, and now I'm speaking and coaching and leading courses on this stuff. So that's kind of how it started. But really, it started because I was struggling with this stuff as well. And the content that I create is the content that I need reminding
0: about. I hope you can take a second to just stop And just honor yourself and just like recognize, like you just told me that's like, that's a movie that you just told me right there. That All that is a movie. A guy's a taxi driver and then about a five-year process, he becomes one of the most sought after relationship coaches in the land. Like that's beautiful. (laughs) Have you, have you been able to honor yourself and appreciate your journey lately?
1: You know, I don't think I'm that great at doing that. I mean, (laughs) I honor the amount of discipline that it has taken and I know that you talk about discipline a lot and I've been creating content around love and relationships for the last seven years on a near daily basis and that is something that I honor right my ability to like show up on a daily basis and do this stuff even if it's that all I do is a piece of content and then I leave and I go do other things you know like a, there is a commitment to that, that I do, that I do honor. But you know, sometimes it's hard to see your, your impact, right. Or my impact on other people, even though I get messages on a daily basis, people, people telling me that my work impacts them in a really like meaningful way. It's still hard to, to like, let that into the heart on a daily basis.
0: Within 10 minutes of talking to you, You literally shifted my body, shifted my energy and gave me goosebumps. So I hope that at some point, even if you can't do it in this moment, I hope at some point today, you can take a second to just recognize the great power and energy that's inside of you. And when those people are sending you messages, they're not lying. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you how I found you. I was uh, doing something I don't like doing that I have very hard boundaries with, which is scrolling Instagram uh, because... I'll just leave it at that. So I'm scrolling Instagram one day and I came across one of your posts. It was one of your videos and you were yelling at the camera. You were yelling at somebody like <laughs> it was about relationships and you were responding to someone's questions. You know, which is one of the things you do. People send you questions every day. And you put up a video every day responding trying to, you know, bring some imagery to it, right? And I'm looking at the video and I'm like, "Man, Could you imagine, this is what I'm saying to myself, I'm like, could you imagine walking by someone standing outside, screaming at their phone about relationships? (laughs) And then I was like, wait a minute, I do that. (laughs) And the video was just, bro, it was so good. I I sent you a DM right away. I was like, I got to connect. I have to connect with this dude. So I just love the energy. I love that you were willing to put that out, Especially, especially as a man, I feel like you touch you're very vulnerable, very honest, and that's not very easy for men to do. To be, you know, vulnerable. that's why I asked you that question earlier. Like most men struggle with that, you know? Why do you think, if you could, why do you think men, we're assuming that what I said is true, why do you mm. think men struggle with being vulnerable, being open, you know, being emotionally expressive, expressing what's going on with, on their mind, you know, speaking up for their mental health? Why do you, why do you think that men struggle with that?
1: God, that's a big question. I think there's a lot of reasons why, right? First of all, societal pressure to be the man, right? To man up, to provide for the family, um, to be stoic, to be strong, to go to war, um, to be the first line of defense. Uh, vulnerability is seen as a weakness, right? Because when you're vulnerable, you open up. When you open up, I mean, this is this is an unfortunate part of opening up um i'm okay with it now but like when you open up to love right that's what we're opening up to you also open up to getting hurt so first of all opening up in the more traditional sense meant dying right getting injured so we don't open up in any way right you don't show your soft belly your soft underbelly because that's where they can get you so that's one and that's sort of like at the primal level that one's, that one's you know, I, I hard to overcome, but then like rationally, you're like, okay, I'm not really in danger of getting killed here for the most part, right? Like we, especially in the West, uh, have it better than some countries. Uh, but then again, we're in the United States. And so that that's also confusing and very paradoxical because it can be scary to be here as well. But logically, we know that like we can... <laughs> I mean, I'm saying like, I can go to the grocery store without getting without getting hurt but then like that's actually not really true you know i'm like i'm living in boulder right now and there was like a shooting not not too long ago at a grocery store so all right so we got societal things then we have like uh generally speaking it's been women who's been leading the charge in doing the emotional labor of raising children and being there for their emotional needs right while men were out uh earning money to you know support the family. So there's, there's the fact that like women are, are also conditioned to be more heart centric. And, you know, we tell little girls that it's okay to cry. We tell little boys that it's not okay to cry. So it starts at a really young age. Then we've got like no role models, no male role models where we see them being vulnerable and honest and cry and also strong you know, and also able to care for others, but also take time to care for themselves. Like, we don't see that. I, I, there, there aren't any like, uh, there aren't a lot of successful, f- successful sort of like figures, public figures that do that. And then we probably didn't see it growing up. We probably didn't see it with our dads and our grandparents. And generally speaking, our grandparents were like just trying to survive, right? So for them, like marriage was not a loving thing. It was more of like a business agreement, a partnership to survive. So these are some reasons why we're not seeing this. And there there also might be this other reason, which is that like, you know, uh, if we're going to speak in really heteronormative ways, women say they want their man to open up. And then sometimes kind of freak out when their man does open up and they don't know what to do with the male vulnerability, right? Like, I, I mean, I've seen it in my relationships and even in just my friendships. I remember what my uh, one time I was sort of, sort of like uh, going through a really challenging, sad situation and I was crying and my friend, this woman didn't know what to do. Mm. Did not know how to hold space for me, immediately tried to cheer me up, make me feel better, came in for like this weird, awkward hug. Like the whole thing was kind of cringy. And I had to like tell her, like, actually in this moment, like, all I really need for you is to be here for me. I don't need you to change the way I'm feeling. Um, I just need, you know, you to witness what's going on. And that's really hard for people. So, uh, we've got a long ways to go on a lot of different fronts before it is safe for everybody to be able to open up.
0: Wow. What an answer.
1: (laughs) It's as concise as I could have made it.
0: It's great. It's, It's probably the exact same things I would have said, to be honest with you. If I, if I would have been proposed that question, I probably would have said the exact same things. Probably not in as beautiful language as you use, but I would have no, tried to get stop there. Stop it. Stop it. I don't believe it for a second. What are you passionate about outside of your work, just in life right now? Uh,
1: in life right now, uh, rock climbing. Uh, I moved back from Canada to the States, uh, partially for business and partially to be closer to sort of the Rockies. So um, right now climbing, I don't know, man, I've been having a hard time these, these last couple months uh, moving from Montreal to uh, the Rocky Mountain West. Uh, I'm kind of scared, you know, like crazy climate change. Uh, you know, Montreal is in Quebec. Quebec is like the closest thing to a socialist province that you can have in North America. (laughs) And now I'm like, uh, you know, finding myself driving through really conservative parts of the country in the, in the United States. I'm like a little freaked out about it, you know, like, um, so I'm kind of struggling. I'm struggling to find my next home. Uh, where, where is that? Uh, what's that look like but at the same time i'm also spending time with my family and i'm spending time uh rock climbing and so those are two things that kind of light me up but it's been kind of a a dim moment for me in these last um four or five months
0: what are you seeking out of your your next home
1: Uh well, I thought I wanted like you know peace and quiet and solitude, but then I realized I'm way too community or oriented and I love people too much to go isolate uh in the woods somewhere. So I'm looking for a nice in-between, you know, like a little acre of land, a nice little house, but also um not too far from an airport and um close-ish to people that are into the kinds of things that I'm into. And and what I was into in Montreal, which I haven't found here yet are sort of like more uh, open-hearted hippie kind of events, right? So like people that are used to doing like authentic relating and circling and sort of like, uh, you know, Montreal had like a really solid like cuddle party community. <laughs> and cuddle so party? Probably- I've never heard of that. Really? Oh, yeah. There might be some in... in you live in Tempe, right?
0: Yeah, I'm in Tempe, Arizona.
1: Yeah, there might be there might be some cuddlers over in in Arizona for sure in Sedona. There's no doubt about that. Oh yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, there are parties where people come together just to cuddle. Yeah, it's it's like the whole thing. There's rules. It's very consent oriented. Uh, you have to ask for permission. Um, people get to practice. They're actually a really great space for uh, practicing uh, to make requests for what you want, and also a really great space to set boundaries and say no. Because because wow. you know it's so hard to say no to somebody who's like right. wants something from you or with you.
0: Um, I, I yeah. imagine that Denver would have something of that nature, if not in Boulder. Um, Denver. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's all it's all here. I just haven't connected with yeah. it because I've been sort of like in my in my like foggy little depression.
0: I hear that, and I don't think you need to force yourself out of that. I will say though, one of my best friends he just moved to Denver about four months ago, so I definitely will connect you guys. Uh, he's, he's very much like you, very heart centered guy, loves to get out, hike, all that. So I'll connect you. I'm into it.
1: I have a question. I have a question for you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. How,
1: how are we supposed to? How are we supposed to help dudes open up? I still haven't figured it out.
0: Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I think there's some things in life where you can learn through experience. I think some things you can learn through like a framework, like a X, Y, Z. I think there are some things you can learn um, through a book. And I think some things you learn from the example of other people. And I think when it comes to vulnerability, I I see it as a skill. And I see it as obviously everybody learns differently differently. But I just feel like the more we see, the more examples we have of, okay, that dude is strong, that dude is tough, or whatever, the way we we stereotypically judge men is strong, tough, successful, right? Like once you get past that, then most people can try to judge the person for all the other things. That's how they look at us. Mm. So I feel like, let's just say someone like Will Smith, he has those things. He's strong and tough, quote-unquote, as we say. But we've been able to, from, a, from afar, learn about his parenting struggles yep. and successes, his relationship struggles and successes. You know? And so, Will Smith, to me, represents someone, and not just through his art, but from his actual conversations mm-hmm. and interviews. I don't know the guy personally. But he seems like a vulnerable man to me. Mm. You know? So I just think that, <clears throat> as a society, if we could champion... You know, just champion that when we, when we see vulnerability. And like you say, like your friend didn't really know what to do. I think us holding space and holding a conversation will plant that seed in other people's head. And they just may say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be mindful of that. And then they'll probably get in a situation where a guy might cry. And they'll, they'll think back to that conversation like, man, Sly and Sean had a conversation about this. Let me, let me ask this guy what he needs from me. Let me ask him how he needs me to show up. Maybe I just need to witness them. So I think you know. Of course, you're right. It's there's things dating back thousands of years to the way that we have been conditioned through experience, and our brain hasn't changed that much. But our society has moved with warp speed. So there's a lot of conditioning that we probably couldn't even explain for sure. But with the power I think that we have is just by trying to set the example, creating space for the conversation, and then just hoping that once our work is done here. The next generation, our kids, they can just move the needle a little bit. You know, I don't think it's up to us to solve it. I think our job is just to move the needle.
1: We're doing our part. Some of us.
0: Yeah, and see, and that's you said that on your podcast too. You said a relationship is two people or more. uh, I think I wrote it down. You said a relationship is two people or more working towards a common goal. Yeah. Me and you aren't the only men. Saying, man, how like how the hell can we be a little more vulnerable? You know, we're not the only ones. So, it, as a society, it, it's a framework and it's a conversation that's getting built. We're doing our part.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of content creators, you know, coaches, therapists, whatnot, uh, that are doing men's work. They're online, right? They have followings, and even the guys that are their audience is their message is specifically geared towards men. Their audience is still like eighty percent women. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> like mine's ninety percent. Mine's like eighty-eight percent women. But I know some guys that are trying to do men's work, and they're still mostly women consuming their content because women want to to know how men think. Right? They're like trying to get a backdoor view into <laughs> right. how the the male. Get the codes. You get the codes. I don't even know what the codes are, man. It's all jumbled up in there. <laughs>
0: okay let's let's play a game here. so if you started doing men's work today, what is one of the um, the teachings or value system or frameworks that you would want to bring to the table that you think would be necessary to be a I don't know evolved man or whatever title you know enlightened man
1: yeah, yeah, the woke, the woke guy <laughs> the woke <laughs> you know bro.
0: You, you, you know how these titles are
1: um I think Gosh, I, I also just feel like this, this applies to everybody, not just men. Um, to just really accept and honor where you are today and to just be honest about not doing great. I think there's just this, you know, again, kind of going back to the first, to the beginning of this conversation, this obsession about thriving. Right. And if you're not thriving, you're failure. Mm. Uh, and I think that's just a really unhealthy message that doesn't give space and honor the ups and downs of life and the ups and downs of growth and the, 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 the necessity of rest and recovery. You know, if, if you don't rest... Uh, if you work so hard that you burn out, the burnout is not rest. The burnout, like where, where you have to take time off because you're burning out, that's not rest, that's recovery. Now you you, you now you're in the red. Right. And, and I think it's important for us to just be like, yeah, I'm not feeling so great, you know, instead of kind of putting on a happy face. Right. And I think that's a small way of letting people into. Your internal landscape. I'm not doing so well. Right. Like when I asked you, Hey, how are you doing? You're like, You know, I don't want to lie to you. I'm not, I'm not doing so well. Like you did it. You did the thing that I wish people would do more. And that includes men is to be really honest about what's going on. It's funny. I, (laughs) in, in uh, 12 step recovery, we learn to be honest, we learn to stop lying, right? And actually a lot of the teachings that I share with people are things that I learned in 12-step. Because um, I, I really like grew up in 12-step recovery in San Francisco. I spent a good 10 years there um, going to near daily meetings to deal with my drug and alcohol addiction. And I remember one of my buddies, Mike, uh, talking about going to this gym. And he'd been going to this gym... <laughs> uh, for like years. Right. And seeing the same guys in the locker room. Right. And it's always like, how's it going? Great. How are you doing? Awesome. Everything's always good and positive. No one's really asking how you're actually doing, but Mike wasn't doing well. And one day they said, how are you doing, Mike? He's like, not great, man. My, my daughter started smoking pot. My, uh, my son crashed the car and I think I'm getting a divorce. And all the guys looked mortified. They had no idea how to deal with this kind of disclosure, which if you and I think about it, it's just like so normal to have challenges in life. For you to like struggle with your freaking teens and for your relationship not to be peachy keen and thriving all the time. And these guys just didn't know what to do and they kind of got awkward and they walked away and Mike really felt like not, held not witnessed not supported until he came to us and we were able to just give him space and give him you know love and attention and whatever <laughs> just asking mike like hey how can i help in this moment which is not a question that we ask we we either we don't help or we we assume what the other person needs instead of saying how can i be most helpful to you right now so those would be some things that i w- i wish people would get, get cranking on
0: I'm definitely going to add that to my vocabulary. Um, You said, what did you say? You said, how can I help you right now? Or what are some things I can help you with right now?
1: How can I help? Just, Just to make it even simpler, how can I help?
0: How can I help? I like that. Instead of assuming this person needs advice or this person needs me to solve their thing or they need, like, how can I help you? And then (laughs) with most people, because sometimes a lot of people aren't really comfortable speaking up for what they want and what they need. So then reinforcing, like, I'm genuinely saying, how can I help? Like, whatever that means, you know, I like it.
1: I mean, this must be connected to, you know, your people pleasers workshop because um, people pleasers don't even ask, how can I help? They just jump right in at the expense of what they need. Right, sometimes it's the people pleaser that needs help, and I, I've got a lot of love for people pleasers because they generally do want to make the world a better place. They, they right, want to make the, their hearts better. are
0: in the right place. Like totally. that's the thing about people pleasing is, although it's looked at as a negative trait, it's only looked at as a negative trait because you're in the habit of self abandoning. That's what you're doing, but your heart is in the right place because your heart is I want to help, I want to serve, I want to take care, I want to be there, I want to nurture, I want I want to care for. And that's a beautiful thing.
1: It's both in the right place and in the wrong place, actually, as well. Because you know, when you abandon yourself, your heart is no longer thinking about what you need and is only focused right. about what other people need. And, and that, that has often been seen as a virtue, right? Um, taking one for the team. Uh, sacrificing yourself for the good of your family. Right? This has historically been seen as good when really I think it's quite detrimental to the, the health of the individual. And we, we actually all need to be healthy so that we can sort of grow together and build community together. I don't think I, abandoning helps anybody.
0: I 100% agree with you. And that's not something I, like I have a son, I don't want to teach him that, you know, we need, we need personal responsibility. You know, th- things happen and we can help other people out. But if I void my responsibility and then I expect my son to save me, I'm actually asking him to self-abandon and then I'm asking him, I'm also showing him the example that personal responsibility doesn't matter, you know? And there's another element there from like a family structure dynamic where a lot of us as kids, maybe you can relate to this, some of us felt guilt for our parents not having the personal responsibility that they should have had, you know, and that, that came to us, so... I want to touch on something
1: here that I find extremely tricky to do, but I think it's totally worth doing because it's really connected Please. to what you just said. Um, I get this question pretty often, which is like, should I stay in my relationship because of the kids? It's usually a woman. It's never, it's never a guy. The guy's just like, I'm out of here <laughs> for the most part. Uh, and <laughs> my answer has always been like, if you do that you you abandon yourself, right? For the children. And they see that. They grow up seeing mom abandon herself for other people. So yeah, it's virtuous. But in the long run it's actually probably doing them a disservice. Also huge disclaimer, I don't have kids. So like, you know, take this advice and all advice that you ever hear with a grain of salt. Um I would much rather someone say to the kids, hey, honey, this is what I need to be happy. Mom's not happy anymore in this relationship, and I deserve to be happy. And I'm really sorry that this is going to be challenging for you, and it's also really, really challenging for me. Um, but this is what I need.
0: And I, and I like that too. And also it's like bringing the kids into that conversation and, and letting You know, mom and dad having that conversation in front of the kids too, you know, because it shouldn't just be you're a kid and then all of a sudden your parents come to you and say, hey, we're breaking up. It's like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) You're doing what? That that was actually my experience is they came to me and they were like, hey, who do you want to live with? Your mom or your dad? And I'm like, excuse me, (laughs) what's going on here? You know? And
1: I feel like that's a very common scenario.
0: Right. Because we're taught to keep kids out of grown people's business. But if mom and dad are having an issue, what, you know, I remember uh, I was taking a psychology class. This was a 300 level class. They were talking about uh, conflict and family structure. And one of the things that they said is that when there is a issue, mom and dad, and there's kids, the vessel should be able to witness that entire conversation. Meaning the kids should be able to be a part of that conversation. Even if they can't fully comprehend the depth of the emotion and the story and the pain, they still should be able to witness the conversation as well as to be able to witness the conflict, mom and dad crying, and the resolution. Because what happens when mom and dad do that is you teach the kids how to solve conflict. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be completely honest, vulnerable, and transparent with you because why not? The reason why when we first got on you're like, hey, how are you doing? And I was like, eh, I'm okay, is I am still processing. This morning, I had a very tough conversation with my partner, the mother of my kid, and we had the conversation in front of my little boy. Now, he's only 17 months so he's running around, jumping on the couch, you know, throwing food and we're having like this emotional conversation and he's, you know, being a, 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 a dinosaur, just, you know, roaming. And so, you know, it was funny. And so, but he got to witness exactly the framework that I just said. We had our conflict. We kept it peaceful. We, you know, no arguing, no yelling, no screaming, no cursing, no putting each other down, but there was conflict. And then at the end, we gave each other a hug. And he was just looking like, okay, they're hugging. And he literally was laughing at us hugging each other, you know? And does it mean that everything is all good? No. Does it mean that the, the conflict still needs more attention? 100%. But at least baby boy was a part of that conversation, you know? So that, that is the, the proper f- framework for that is let's bring the kids in this. and Let's not just blindside them.
1: I, I love that. And I'm so Happy that you shared that with me, and that your kid was able to have that experience. And I think also, unfortunately, probably a lot of people are not great at resolving conflict. I mean that that that's what brought me and my ex girlfriend at the time, at the tender age of twenty two, into couples counseling was because we had zero conflict resolution skills. Growing up, I wasn't taught. You know, I think um, in my family system, whoever yelled the loudest won the argument. And in hers, um, she had learned to run away from conflict to protect herself and her family. Mm -hmm. So put those two people together and you've got just a classic dynamic that is not going to work. And so I think a lot of people, including myself, don't know or aren't great at dealing with conflict. And so then we're talking about how do we deal with conflict in front of children if it's not Ideal and if we haven't taken psychology three hundred uh, level courses on you know family systems and healthy conflict resolution, it's asking a lot. Um, and it's it's, it's worth definitely a talking pri- a about.
0: Privilege to go to college is definitely a privilege. Def- I didn't think yeah, that and to so study college,
1: relationships. One, one,
0: one. Yeah, you know when I got out, relationships. I was like, wow, that was that was actually pretty good. <laughs> I hated yeah, it nice, while I was I mean, doing it, but after. Uh, let's go back. Uh, cause we opened up a thread, um, but we didn't really touch it. The thread of entrepreneurship and your discipline and you, you know, getting content and creating, I'm curious what your, you know, how many hats you wear as a business owner. I know you, I know you have your courses that you're doing. And I think you have one coming out August 4th, if, if I'm not mistaken, you know, tell me about your, yeah.
1: No, go ahead. Sorry.
0: (laughs) No, I was going to say, tell me about the course and and the hats you're wearing. Bring me into your world as an entrepreneur.
1: Oh man, I mean these last these stormy these last stormy months, I've just been sort of doing the bare minimum of just creating content in the morning from nine to eleven a.m. and then that's it. That's like that's all I had space for. And now I'm actually kind of excited to be getting back into um, course creation. I sort of took a break from the beginning of this year until now. But basically, I'm a solopreneur, man. I'm just a one-man show. Um, I do have someone that helps me edit the podcast, but not those little mini episodes, just the longer conversations with other guests, um, which I'm going to be excited to have you on when I start doing those again. But basically, everything else is, is me, right? So course creation, writing, any sort of advertising, um, all of the content stuff, the podcast, um, probably because of that anti-dependence that I told you at the beginning. It's just easier for me to do it alone because I don't I have. Sometimes have a hard time trusting that others will do it the way I, I'm a bit of a control freak. Um, so I'm learning to let go, and also moving back to the states uh, is giving me an impetus to bring someone on to help. But basically, I'm just a solopreneur guy, and I'm just writing and creating stuff on a daily basis. I'm hoping to do maybe some television stuff. I'm kind of working with a few production companies. Um, but for right now, I'm doing a, a course called uh, modern dating 101: how to bring play and honesty and clarity to your dating life. I just feel like summertime is a great time to do a dating course because people are wanting to connect. Uh, COVID was better now. Not so great. Um, depends how you feel about the risks, but, uh, Summertime is still a really fun time to to like get out there and meet people, despite the current current climate. So yeah, I'm teaching that, just teaching people on, on like um, how to have like how to make dating fun. I think for me, like if dating is sort of like volunteer work, if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you like looked at you, you're like wait a second. <laughs> Sly looked at That's you.
0: gave me side eye there for a second. <laughs> I was like, where's he going with this? And then you're like, hey, that's not fun. I'm not doing it. That's funny. That's
1: yeah, you funny. know, okay, like volunteer work, like I, I, I'm I, going to do stuff that I like doing. So like helping people fix their bikes, right? It's like great for the community. It's great for people who don't ha- who can't afford going to bike shops. It's great for people who want to learn that stuff. I love bikes. I love fixing bikes. I like helping people fix their bikes. So for me, doing that is fun. So it's easy for me to volunteer Instead of like doing something else that I would hate doing, like there was a bunch of volunteers picking weeds at a park last weekend. I was like, I would not like that. That would not be fun for me. Right. So I would be like begrudgingly resentful volunteer rather than like a happy volunteer. And dating (laughs) sort of also needs to be fun. If if it's getting really serious and you're super jaded about dating, it's time to take a break because Mm. meeting people should be fun. Right? Potentially meeting someone to have a relationship with and have sex with and to like grow in intimacy with should be fun for the most part. It should not be a stressful activity. If it's stressful or you're feeling jaded or you're burnt out, just like I said earlier, if you're burnt out, you need a break. So I'm teaching people sort of like how to make dating fun again, how to make it more honest, uh, more open, how to like not play games and not even play other people's games. Right, like refuse to play anybody's games. If there's game playing, I'm not playing because I don't know the rules. No one knows the rules. Everyone's making the rules up as they go along. And I'm so (laughs) not into that. So I'm just teaching people like my philosophy on dating, which is just like way more fun, way more playful, and then way more honest than probably most people are
0: used to. I love it. I love it. Uh, So where do we get the course? I know it's so it starts August 4th, and this podcast should be out at the beginning of the week. So it'd be... It's like perfect alignment. So I'm sure Sean some get, people will trickle over. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Check check the show notes and uh, uh, com forward slash modern dating. Um, it's all over my Instagram at the love drive also in the in the uh, link in the bio. And um, yeah, that's where you can find it. It's 150 bucks. That's like what you would spend on a bad date. If <laughs> I've definitely spent like 100 bucks on a bad date going like... God, that was a waste of time. Like, I totally would have rather just stayed home with my dog and a book, and <laughs> say, and and a pint of Ben and Jerry's, yeah, and a pint <laughs> for six ninety nine. I would have been so much happier. And so, for one hundred and fifty bucks, like you get four hours of instruction, you probably end up saving a bunch of money on on a, a bunch of like bad dates that you don't now don't have to go on. Um, unfortunately, you're still going to have bad dates because that's just kind of
0: part of the deal, you know. I love the excitement behind the course and. Definitely, definitely going to have you back on the podcast, here. I need you to be a regular. Answer this question for me, and then you are free. What does when you hear the term, when you hear the words, in this very moment, free your energy. What does that mean to you?
1: Well, it really means um, for me right now to stop doing things that you don't want to do anymore. To take space from people who no longer fill you up. To pare down your life of things that don't feel good and that don't work for you anymore so that you can have more space for what does fill you up, even if you don't know what that is. Because when we create, right, nature abhors a vacuum. When we create space, something is going to come in there and fill it up. And I hope that it's something that's more aligned for you and for me.